Welcome back to Paradox Culture Podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us for episode number seven of season four. And as always, I have our co-host with me, Philip Blancardi. How are you doing today, Philip? Doing well. Doing well. Can't complain. Good. Well, you probably could, but nobody would listen. No, fortunately not. <laughs> Good old dad jokes. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we are excited today. We got uh, Pastor Brian back with us for another episode of Apologetics and um, excited to dive into that topic in just a few minutes. But uh, I just wanted to thank everybody for uh, listening. Thank you for your uh, feedback, your comments, especially about the last episode. We, uh, actually got some good comments about different things, Philip. You really kicked up the hornet's nest on your I did. hate for dressing. Stuffing, dressing, <clears throat> deviled eggs, whatever you want to call all those things. Yeah, we, we got we got some good People were upset with me. They were. They were very upset with that. Philip does not like dressing. In fact, loathes it. You know what I found is whenever you tell somebody what you don't like, they're like, Oh, I'll make it for you. <laughs> right yes yeah somebody said that like, yeah. I, you should try like, mine yeah my name no it's yeah they're like you should yeah. try this dressing and this stuffing i'm just like it happens to me all the time it's all dry bread or soggy bread <laughs> in a dish on thanksgiving with onions and some kind of soup that yeah i've gotten to a point whenever anyone asks me what do i like or not like in any category food movie i don't know i just go yeah i don't have any preferences i'm good <laughs> Because I know where it's going to go. I like all of it. Yeah, everything's wonderful. I like yes. everything. I just live in peace and That's happiness. That's come out and bite me a few times. <clears throat> um, Never. Well, and so, yeah, so they came after you, and then they came after me. Cause Which is what I really was hoping for. <laughs> well, no, not about the deviled eggs. What did I you like, not like? No, I like deviled eggs. He hates them, too. He don't like mayonnaise, right? Yeah. yeah That's so, your I mean, thing. That inevitably mm-hmm. puts that in oh, yeah. for. It's basically mayonnaise. That's all that. Yeah. Yeah, you just took M- the yolk mustard and, mixed and mayonnaise with mayonnaise or mustard. Make it yellow. Drop a little paprika. Boom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like yeah. that doesn't fix it. It's good stuff. So what do you dislike? No, well, so we were talking about that, but then the next question was about uh, it was a would you rather, and so I got some yeah. heat for my answer for the would you rather. The would you rather question was a little odd. What well, was it? It was would you rather have the voice of your five year old self, or be the height of your five year old self? <laughs> yeah so that's funny i chose voice trent chose height yeah that's funny he'd rather be like two feet tall that's what i'm saying that doesn't make any sense <laughs> or like mike tyson <laughs> mike tyson was a big man that's a good point yeah i, I honestly w- was not definitive on either way but I chose... <laughs> oh now okay change your mind but no yeah. I chose... mike tyson's been brought up <laughs> no, yeah that's fine <laughs> I chose the latter just for debate. But um, anyway, people had strong opinions on that, too. In fact, one of my friends, and so this is the shout-out today, uh, Kenny Pope, shout-out to you, friend, for uh, listening and being a faithful listener. Uh, Kenny is always one to text me quickly when he disagrees about something that I have an opinion on on the podcast. So Mm -hmm. it's always good to hear from Kenny. Kenny is an fantastic person in fact we really need to have kenny on to do uh the testimony time he would be a great person to share a godly man and loves jesus and so thanks kenny for your shout out about uh deviled eggs you actually should hit me up about deviled eggs and uh being short so 
Oh, he got. I mean, uh, having yeah, being well, the five year old self. Can you agree with me? And deviled eggs are gross. Brian, do you like deviled eggs? I don't care. My son oh, loves like them. He's answering us. Yeah, like, I'm not. Don't worry, I'm not going to offer to make. You no, one. I mean, I'm not for or against them. <laughs> yeah, no, but my son loves deviled oh, eggs. Really? In fact, when we go to Kentucky for Thanksgiving, he's like, "You're going to have deviled eggs, right?" And Amy's, I mean, like my mother-in-law, will make sure to have a batch of them stashed aside. So they have like four refrigerators, like three in the garage or whatever. And she'll have them stashed, hidden, covered in the back, underneath, just, just for, for Jackson. That's what? funny. She's all. Wow. He's all. He loves them. My I sister loves. My grandma makes them, and my sister loves them. And all the time, they are like inevitably take that that wrapper off the top. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I can smell it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's funny. So, in the same vein of this banter, I got another good warm up question for us. I got a couple actually, but I'm trying to decide which is the best. So, uh, I'm going to go with this one. I think I'm going to go with this one. Well, I'm going to go with two. We're going to go with two out of the four that I picked. Okay? First one. Would you rather have a Russian accent or a Jamaican accent? <laughs> That's easy for me. What would really? You do? Did you have an answer? Well, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be. What do you think my answer would be? I always go last, so you guys got to go first. I'm going Russian, baby. I'm going Russian, but man, I love reggae music. That's why I thought you were going I Jamaican. Know. I love reggae music. But it doesn't have anything to do with the kind of music I'm allowed to listen I, to. I can have a Russian accent and still nah, listen to No, just because he listens to reggae music. <laughs> oh, and, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because it would potentially look like I was just kidding, you know? <laughs> if I yeah, was me with a Jamaican accent just seems like a weird thing that you would see on the street. Yeah, funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, okay. Like, me walking around Jamaican accent makes me feel like I would get beat up. Yeah, but if you had a Russian accent, people think you're gonna be doing the beating up, right, man? Right. That that's a tough guy accent. This is all prejudice here, but I'm with I'm with Brian. Like, me yeah. with a Russian accent, I feel like makes a little bit more sense than me with a Jamaican accent. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm completely in agreement. That was where I was yeah. going. Russian, because of it's just has that toughness to it, you know. Not to say Jamaican people aren't. Look, if you're Jamaican, no. you no, might you be really pull tough. It off. Neville's yeah. gonna listen to this, or somebody we know is gonna. Neville listen can to this. pull it off though. Neville can pull it off. Yeah. yeah. I feel like if someone saw me walking around with a Jamaican accent, it'd be like, yeah. "All right, tough guy." Yeah, <laughs> you get jumped. Or people are just thinking you're just, you're just kidding. You're trying That's to be right. funny. I feel yeah. weird just walking into a Jamaican restaurant by myself because I feel like I'm in there. Dude, and I love. Are like, you yeah. don't belong here. Yeah. But in the same vein, though, if you had a Russian accent, then people n- never think you're funny. No, for sure. You can't think of a good Russian comedic. There's like there was a Yakov Shmirnov. Remember him? He was a Russian comedian. <laughs> Yeah, but I his like I accent in was an action movie like yeah put me in the next expendables mm. yes <laughs> that's a good one yeah you're the you're the bad guy yeah why yeah. not the yeah. third rocky i'll fight rocky yeah if he dies he dies he dies spoiler if you didn't see that yeah. <laughs> all those years ago <laughs> that's a great movie that's yeah. a great point too yeah so, those guys were tough too man yeah what russian, was his name russian uh, accent drago ivan drago yeah, yeah. drago and uh all right, that that's good. We all agree on that. We're all Russian. Yeah, we're all Russians. Okay, because <laughs> we don't we want to be taken seriously. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, all right, so we agreed on that one. Here's the next one. This one's, I don't know, not as I don't think we're all agree on this one. Would you rather no no longer have a phone or no longer have a bed? I could easily not have a bed. 
There are plenty of times that I just need to lay down on a hard floor because my back hurts. <laughs> uh, you know, I was about to say most I I, just, I sleep well on the floor. It's not a problem. If I can still have a blanket. I wanted Brian to answer first because I knew he'd say he'd go without a bed and keep his phone. Because I knew if I said phone first, y'all would be like, "Nah, millennial, you have to have your electronic <laughs> devices." Lies. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think I'd rather go without a bed. Yeah. I go camping. You know, I, That's I can right. sleep in a hammock. Like, That's right. I can sleep on the floor. Mm-hmm. I can make a pallet. I've slept in my car before. It's not a problem. Now I've not done that every night of my life, mm-hmm. so I don't know the consequences of that, but. That's the other part, yeah. Like on night ninety, <laughs> right. yeah. The tent's fun for a little while, yeah. Right. And then I'm like, these rocks are really yeah. starting to get to me. Or yeah. what I would do for a bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm That's... still going with the bed though. Really? Yeah. Can I Just... make a pallet? Like, does that count? Yeah. Can I have a blanket? I, why does everybody do that? You know, you give the wood. Would you rather? And they start going. Well, if I could. Uh, well, I'm just yeah. saying. Like, I could. I could throw a couple blankets on the ground and sleep on top of those. I don't it's like if you say, "What's the one item you take to a deserted island?" And it's like, oh, I'll take a book and hollow out the middle of it and then pack seven things in there. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I put my survival knife and flint rock yeah. and all that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think uh, I'm with you guys too. I, uh, we all agreed again. Nice. I know. That's good. It's a good day then. I don't know. Phone, bed. But dude, when you go back, Philip wouldn't, but you and I, to when there were no cell phones. I, I, yeah. I didn't have a cell phone. Till when? I didn't have a cell phone until I was in ninth grade. That sounds funny even saying that. Though. Even saying, you're right. I yeah. agree with you. Even saying that. Because, well, I mean, even now though, like you're eight years old and you get a phone. It's true, but I mean, I can think when there was no cell phone, like when they didn't exist. They weren't. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe there were some people who were filthy rich that had a bag phone. Remember the bag phones oh, yeah. back in the day? Yeah. Or they'd have a car phone installed in the car. Right. You had to be loaded to do that. Right. I knew people who would put a car phone in their car. It wasn't even connected. They just wanted to look cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fact. But I mean, I remember when there were pagers. That was yeah. the beginning of frustration, right? Because yep. now you're always everyone. Someone can always get a hold of you. Yeah, I, I have a feeling the audience is gonna really jump on this. When did cell phones really come out? Like when? When did like when did adults actually start? When were cell like when phones it was accessible common? to like common thing to have? So a buddy of mine, his dad owned and ran a cell phone store for like Altel or something back in the day. Might have been uh-huh. Motorola. I don't remember. And I was in high school. I was probably eleventh grade around there, maybe a little later. But I mean, I remember the eighties really well. You know. I see, remember my parents didn't have cell phones till I was in like in middle school, or like maybe seventh grade, which would have been around what? Grade. But you got to remember that the, was like two thousand. Oh yeah, no, I remember early nineties. Yeah, people having cell phones. Now they're expensive. You had to pay per minute. It's the brick phone. I mean, it's yeah. like the whole thing yeah, on I don't your think face. My parents are, I mean, maybe my mom listens to this. She's like, "You're wrong. We had cell phones." I'm like, maybe I don't know, but I just specifically remember like going to T-Mobile, mm-hmm. my parents got phones and then they bought, they got a third phone eventually that we like shared like when we went to our friend's house. No, I remember, know? yeah, I remember um, there's no cell phone. I mean, I still remember going to my grandparents with the rotary dial. I remember. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I know, remember, I remember using mm-hmm. rotary dial. I remember using pay phones. Like I've used those things, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I mean, also I was a child, you know, so like I don't necessarily remember when cell phones started. Like, But you've they, always like, had a bit. Common. I remember. Hey, do you remember pay <laughs> Look phones? At trying to change my mind. Oh, but you've always had a bed, haven't you? So speaking of deviled eggs, yeah. So I remember. <laughs> do you remember pay phones when you would call collect, like get somebody to come pick <laughs> yes. you up? I remember we would have little tricks. Will like, you have a, will you accept the call from? Brian yeah, accept Boyle. the call from. It was that, but we would be like, we accept a call from. I don't need to ride home. I'm good. 
And so your dad would answer, hello, we just have to call for money to ride home. I'm good. Click. He knows. So I did, you, did, you didn't pay for the collect call, collect but you call. got your point across. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. We used to do stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Clever. Yeah. It was a different different day when you could not be getting hold of. I remember being in the Amazon on doing mission work, and there's no communication. You guys are cracking me up. Right I know. Now I remember you can when be... <laughs> cheeseburger was a nickel. <laughs> McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that would have been like the 1900s. I, I remember before cars took gasoline. <laughs> I do remember leaded gas. Leaded gas. I do remember leaded. Yeah, leaded or unleaded. Yeah. I remember when pencils could kill you because they were lead. <laughs> and the kids ate them. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, being without your phone now, that would be tough. Because it's not a phone anymore. That's the thing. It's not just a phone. It's a computer. And I'm it's not your entire talking, life. It's not yeah. just communication either. There's, mm. yeah, it's, yeah. Remember when your, remember when your teacher was like, you better learn math because you're not going to always have a calculator in your pocket. <laughs> Joke's life. on you, Miss Triska. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. were wrong. Nah, nah, nah. Not only do I have a calculator, I have a converter <laughs> for every measurement I ever needed. But you yeah. should, you're like, I don't even need a teacher now. I got YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Like that's how I learned how to do most things. Yeah. I don't understand. I, I mean, I don't mean for this to keep going on and on. But I know we. I don't know how some of these businesses stay. Like, I'll never go have someone install a rear view or side view mirror on my car. I can just do that. Yeah. I can fix my own window. I can do a lot of things on my own car. Like some of these places, like I don't know how they stay in business. I guess people just don't want to learn. But also, I don't know that we've reached the generation of people that are just YouTubing everything. So I think there's still a lot of people that go do some of that stuff. But that also, you see a resurgence of all these trades because all these YouTube videos are wrong or dumb, you know? <laughs> exactly. Also true. Yeah. Or you got people like me who are Tim the Tool and Taylor, and everything we touch falls apart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. just like, so you see more and more of these trades people, like, you know, get, there's more there's more of them yeah. realizing. Like, yeah. All mm. right. I was going to dive into another rap trail, but I'm not going to because we're going to start this Awesome subject today. Cool. Good. Uh, good job on the warm-up questions. Um, getting us talking about silly, nonsensical stuff that our audience loves to tell us. Their Do you opinion. think they listen to this or they just fast forward? No, they. We get comments all the time. They don't skip ahead. Mm-mm. Most of our comments come from the, that the silliness, yeah. which is hilarious because we're like, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like I can get his to show up when I have just a party, and then when it's time to talk about the gospel, it's like. <laughs> Where is everybody at? Yeah. Like a contemporary band during the sermon. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They're gone. <laughs> pew, pew. Exactly. Shots fired. <laughs> I, I saw a thing on Instagram. It was like a picture of a gigantic, you know, like Phillips Arena. Is it still Phillips Arena? Whatever it is, downtown, you know. And it was like, you know, like a 30,000 seat arena. And so it was a picture and it was empty. You could see like all 30,000 seats or whatever. And it said, this is the live shot of a worship leaders conference when the speaker came out. <laughs> oh, Next special guest, Kyle Moody. Yeah, yeah. I want to be in here with that. <laughs> that would be great. Tell me, Kyle. Some musicians don't need the word. Interesting. <laughs> He's so good, too. He'd have fun with that. He would. He would have. He would be good. It'd yeah, be a good back and forth. about it. Yep. Oh, all right. Where are well, we? not talking about worship pastors or worship music today. We are talking about the proof of God or God 
does God, how can we know that God exists? I'll get out in a minute. How can we know that God exists? Does God exist? Question mark. You know, so last, last time you were on with us, we talked about truth, mm-hmm. right? How we can know truth and how we can deduce what is real truth versus uh, perceived truth. Like we kind of went through that a little bit. You dove into that, took us all the way back to the Nuremberg trials. We did. I remember that. You yeah. know, took us way back. Um, and we scratched the surface of this topic too. And I, I kind of pulled us back cause I knew we'd be back to talk about the proof of God and how we can and know that because we started talking. I remember in the, the last episode that you were on with us about, you know, am I a Christian because I grew up in a Christian Western Christian nation, mm-hmm. you know, um, I use that with air quotes around it now but you know i mean mm-hmm. and and am i a christian because i grew up in america versus growing up in a country that was non-christian right and mm-hmm. you begin to talk about well you know here's how that's not necessarily always a yes you could have been a christian growing up in a non-christian society because the god the proof of god exists out mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. so it's not distinct to america or a western culture that had christianity that God is already proving himself um, without that that foundation or background. Sure. Right? So today we want to kind of continue that conversation and kind of walk us through, you know, how can we know God exists? What are some foundation principles that are going to help us, one, have confidence in that, two, really objectively look at it without just saying, Oh, because I, that's just what I believe. Well, I think that's not really an argument. Yeah. And that's, and that's what needs to be, I think really understood by anybody who's going to have this conversation or listen to this podcast right now is when you start having conversations, like, do you believe in God? The, the arguments in favor of truth or the arguments in favor of God um, they require a person who's willing to take the time to think it through. And honestly, just most people aren't because most people have a lot going on. I mean, most people have a family or kids or a career or aging parents or, you know what I mean? that People have a lot going on. We don't really live in a simple life where there's time just, you know. But aside from that, most people have just become, cons- uh, I think most people seemingly, around us in our culture for sure have become accustomed to just sitting around and watching Netflix for three hours and then saying, well, I don't have time, you know, and they watch three hours of Netflix seven days a week and then say, well, I don't have time for this or I don't have time for that. Or, you know, and so when you start discussing arguments in favor of, particularly when you're talking about something like God and incidentally, when you, in this example of, is there evidence for the existence of God or is there proof of God? Understand we're not saying evidence of Jesus Christ being the Savior and therefore Christianity is true. That's way down. That's that's later. Yeah, right? We're working towards that. We're just yeah. talking a theistic God, right? You know that uh, whether you are a philosopher or a uh, Muslim or a Christian, just the concept is, is it is it plausible that there could be a theistic God or even logical, right? Logical, plausible, reasonable. Yeah, I mean. Because what ends up happening, the same thing we talked about with truth last time I was on, is 
you know, you put 10 people in a room, there will be someone that will say, well, I just, I reject your truth. That's not, you know, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And that has become so normalized in our society that Mm -hmm. to say, people will even say to each other, hey, Trent, share with us your truth. Share, Share your, tell us your truth. Tell the audience your truth, where it seems like a compassionate way to speak to someone. But what it's doing is it's now creating categories of truth as if, the three of us can have three separate truths on the same event that took place versus three perspectives. And there's a, there's a difference to that. Right. And words have meaning words that come together in a sentence have meaning sentences create context, context matters. And when we're talking about, okay, is there can, because last week or last time we were on, it was like, okay, um, truth is real, which is a bold statement and I can know it. Right. Which is the other bold statement. Right. Because there were plenty of people that would argue, well, there might be truth, but it's unknowable. Right. Right. So we go, well, no, that's just, that's just not accurate. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you start getting to a place of saying, well, what it, so last time we were on, boom, yes, we've established there is such a thing as truth and it's identifiable. It's knowable. There is such thing as absolute truth. You know, your next step between existence of truth and existence of God really has to be if there is such thing as truth, there is also such thing as false, right? Right. So if, you, if you're willing to say, you know, uh, whatever, we are in Snellville, Georgia, then you have to be able to say we are also not in Dallas, Texas, right? right. So, and that would sound like an obvious statement, but it isn't. Not right. with people who are living in the society, in the Western world, Western culture, even in Eastern culture. You know, it's truth is what you make of it. So... If you're willing to say and embrace there is such a thing as truth, you have to be willing to embrace there is such a thing as false or error. And so if you say, yes, I believe there is truth, I believe the opposite of truth is false. Um, and then you start getting into laws that, you know, lo- laws of logic that have been in place for hundreds of years, if not a thousand years. You know, when you start getting into laws of logic that Aristotle identified, solidified, Plato lived by. And these were men who were brilliant thinkers way before there was a grasp on Western Christianity, right? Right. So this isn't a religious position. It's just simply a rules of logic, you know, like, and there's all kinds of great laws. We, I think we talked about some of these last time too. So, um, so when you start going, okay, well, is there evidence of God? Is there proof of God? You really have to, um, start out by saying, am I willing to take the time to really investigate this because a ton of effort has been put into proof and existence of God over the centuries. And if you are willing to, then you have to say, am I willing to accept where the evidence leads versus leading the evidence where you want it to go? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, would there be a difference in your life if you knew there was a God? Again, we're not talking about the God of the Bible, Right. right? We're talking about just, is there a God? So, um, philosophically, uh, aside from religion, um, philosophers have long accepted that, uh, God is the greatest thing that if there's a God, right, then God would be the greatest thing your mind could conceive of. Right. And if anything is greater than that, then that's what God is. That's you, what it is. you just didn't go far enough. Right. right. In your thought. So God would be the greatest thing. It's also accepted. And this is even by secular atheistic philosophers. It's also accepted that uh, God would have to be infinite 
he would have to be someone, and you just say he, and it's not spark an argument between is why does God have to be a he? You know, and this happens, this, this comes up a lot sometimes, I think, for Christians even as well, because if you have Christians who hold to the Bible and you see that God is referred to as he, you know, always, Father, all, always from the very beginning, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, inevitably somebody will say, well, I don't believe God is he. You know, why can't you say God is she? You know, and as a Christian, you might jump and go, well, the Bible says he, I'm going with he. Right. Another way to think of it when someone says, well, I want to say that God is she. Well, are you willing also to apply the same concept to Satan, that Satan is she? Right. Mm-hmm. And usually people who are pushing, pushing for a feminine application or, or a pronoun for God, they don't want to push the feminine application or pronoun for the devil. You know, and it ends up becoming more about just their own opinion of masculinity or their own opinion of, of a man than it is about who God is or not. And the reality is God is spirit, and uh, God's not a male human, however, has chosen to identify himself as he and father. And so there's something just to accept about that. And instead of being upset and saying, well, I had a father, and he was horrible, and he abused me and abandoned us, it's like, well, but God, your heavenly father's not him. So, Well, even now, I think they're, they're, our society's taking the position of gender neutra- neutrality, right? Mm-hmm. So there is no gender. And that it could be, it's not he, she, it's it, you know. Or they, yeah. Or that, you know. Yeah, yeah, which goes back to truth, mm-hmm. right? What is true and all that. Um, so when you go, okay, well, let's get back to, is there a God? Does God exist? Is God real? Is it plausible or logical? Because it is often stated, um, you know, that God is, or the belief in God is purely based on faith, and that's just not true. You right. Know? Um, and the person that's credited with some of the greatest work on this was a man named Thomas. He's called Thomas Aquinas. He's mm-hmm. from Italy. And Aquinas was not his last name. It just means from Kino. Um, Thomas Aquino is a city in Italy. That's where he was. He was a 13th century um, Italian philosopher, theologian. He did some of the most amazing work on this subject. He has a series of books or a multi-volume series called Summa Theologiae. And it's a, I want to say a five-volume set. I've got it up in my office, actually. It's a beast of a multi multi-volume set. But um, he approached often uh, God from a philosophical sense. What I mean is he would just start out with a thought, is there a God? But he would truly study nature, and that's what he did. And so he came up with what's called the five ways, the mm-hmm. five ways of proving the existence of God. Mm-hmm. And this dates back to the 13th century, right? So we're going several hundred years ago. And in his five ways, they came from studying nature uh, and coming up with five categories uh, of conclusions that people since then have all accepted. You know, he's right. These are things that would lead to um, an undeniable acceptance of there being a higher being, right? Mm-hmm. A theistic God. Again, this right. has nothing to do with Jesus, right. salvation, or repentance. It has to do, or Bible, just purely with um, a, you know following the logic where it goes, right. right? Which is why we started in here in this podcast. We started with, okay, is there truth? Because you can't follow logic if you don't, you don't even accept or acknowledge that there is truth. That you can even find truth. That's right. You're just wasting your time. 
So the, the thing I would say to the Christian is, is, yes, you accept that there's a God by faith. Got it. You accept that Jesus. I mean, we're not denying that. But this has now become an academic discussion about proof of God. Um, so uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, began to just study nature, and he began to see evidence throughout his observation, and he saw it in multiple different ways. And we'll talk, talk through it. I've got them all written down. And each of these five ways um, that he observed just with nature, uh, man, they have their own rabbit holes where you can go really deep into it. Mm-hmm. And so if, you know, down the road, maybe you guys want to spend more time on one or more of these, but just for today, so we're not here for five hours, just kind of going through the five. Uh, you know. Our audience is so faithful. They would totally they would, stay around. That's exactly. Hours. They'd pull over their car. Yes, and they would love it. Cash in a vacation day. Um, <laughs> but I would say this, before we jump right into that, because that, I'm, I'm excited about hearing this, and um, I know our audience will be happy to have some conversation that's going to deepen their thoughts. But, you know, as you said, like, people are too lazy kind of to do the work, you know? Um, or too busy. Or too busy, yeah. right, Which, whichever. Uh, and you referenced, like, even... You know what's been fascinating to me, though? Because, like, when I watch uh, anything on TV, um, and, and I guess it, it might just be my, my worldview, right? So that's what... I, it's hard to do. Separate ourselves from what we already believe. Sure. You know, that's that's probably one of the hardest things to do, to look at things in an objective position uh, and, and search out, okay, what do I really believe? Or where does that, like you said, where does the evidence lead me to believe? Mm-hmm. But I even think, like, our, our I, I was watching something the other day. I'm like, oh, that is an interesting concept of worldview that they don't, really know probably they're making a worldview statement like what a tv show mm-hmm. you know so i'm thinking like even as people are watching netflix subconsciously they're being hit with questions such as this they just don't frame it in that way well you see the same debate with video games yeah i mean all the most popular video games are extremely violent mm-hmm. and then you go wow i wonder why we have so many school shootings mm-hmm. all right well there might be a correlation maybe you know but yeah. But for very often, for the conversation to get brought up, you see people getting furious that it can't possibly be that. But, I mean, I look at a lot of kids I know, including my own. Brian's about to fire up a lot of people. Oh, yeah. It's a fact. I mean, look at how much time kids are spending on video games. To where even schools now, elementary, uh, middle, high schools, even colleges, are even embracing the prevalence of video games by saying, hey, let's have an an e-sports team, mm-hmm. right? The, the high school yeah. where my kids go have an e-sports where they're not even actually playing baseball. They're playing a video game right. of baseball. They're not playing, they're not bowling. They're playing a video game of bowling. And now you can scholarship on it. Well, okay, but those games, yeah, I think there's some football games that are incredibly popular, right, among children and adults. But even among adults, I think I read one time recently, the average age of a gamer is 35 years old, men, right. men and women. Yeah. So, you know, for Trent, for you and I growing up, average age of a video gamer was, you know, elementary age, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, and it wasn't as consuming. You played a game that had an end. Right. You know, you, you went to the yeah, end of no it. There's no online time. multiplayer where it's That's just right. endless. Yeah. No. yeah. You're by yourself in your room playing Duck Hunt. Right. You know, something like that. <laughs> yeah. There's only so many times you can shoot the ducks. Mm-hmm. And then you go on, you go outside and do your thing. Your and you can't play anymore. Well, and you had a you had a, an, an entire society that agreed video games was a waste of time ultimately. Well, what's happened in our society is they go, well, define waste of time. Mm-hmm. You know, because you can get some of your wealthiest people are video gamers, video sure. game designers. And yeah. people are making 
a lot of wealth by recording themselves playing a video game that others watch and then YouTube pays from advertisement. And, you know, a guy who's got a Twitch account is making 50 grand a month, you know, playing video games. So they go, well, it's not a waste of time. He made income. He made a salary. And he makes a better salary than his parents do. Yeah, yeah that kind of thing. So, But um, they cause us, any type of median medium can cause us the question. Yeah. So if you're staring at Grand Theft Auto, if yeah. you're staring at Call of Duty, yeah. You know, I mean, in in a, in a Call of Duty game, or what's the other one, Philip, that's so popular? The Fortnite. Fortnite, yeah, Fortnite. Um, you know, you you shoot and kill that person. Five seconds later, they respawn. Right. Right. Everyone's laughing and cutting up, and then they get online and they're trash talking and screaming and hollering and at each other. But then, I, you could see where it would lead to a child saying, "I'm going to take this gun and shoot everybody who gets on my nerves." You know. Mm-hmm. So, I do think. Um, that plays into proofs and existence of God where people just say, well, I choose not to believe. I choose not to believe. And so to your point about TV shows where you go, man, I don't know if they even know they're putting a worldview out. They may not. They're just going where their world, where their worldview logically leads. Right. Right. The, the classic statement that ideas have consequences. So whatever is your prevalent idea or your mindset or worldview, it has a logical direction that will flow from it. Um, like value of life or um, truth, the existence of truth, or even the concept of consequences in general, right? I mean, if if our entire society in America here were built on um, everything was decided by a jury, right? Well, this is why there's so much jury um, tampering and there's so many laws protecting the, the identities of a jury. Because if you were to go, well, what if you get... 12 jurors that don't believe in truth, don't believe in consequences, don't believe in guilt, don't believe chemi- uh, criminals should be held responsible, well, then you get any criminal committing any crime, and those 12 people say, he didn't mean to, he seems like a good person, let's find him not guilty. Well, you've made, that's a worldview decision where you're saying, no, not guilty means he didn't even do it. Right, right. You know, but it's like, well, we don't mean he didn't do it, we just mean we didn't want him to be held responsible for it. Well, and I think one of the things that you you were trying to point out just a few minutes ago was that in a, I, we're drifting to our society that is uh, consumers, like we don't research, we don't think. Um, but I would say that you can't be um, you can't be uh, neutral. Like you, people want to be neutral in these conversations. But even when you're neutral, you're still developing a worldview. Yeah, your well, neutrality brings you to a certain position, whether you have thought about that position or not. Yeah, I like to use the phrase "invisible." This this comes up a lot when I'm teaching and preaching, and inevitably someone will say, "Hey, don't you think, based on what this politician said or did, or this pol- party said or did, Brian, you should go up and preach for or against that?" Mm-hmm. And this is extraordinarily common for a number of reasons, but I won't do it. And one of the things I will teach is be invisible, not neutral, but, but invisible. And I do think there are people who confuse neutral and invisible. And so for invisible, I use the example of Daniel in the book of Daniel. He was right. clearly not neutral. He was 100% sold out to God, even if it, if it gets it, gets him thrown into the lion's den. Or his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were anything but neutral. They were very devoted to God, even if it gets them thrown into the furnace. They weren't belligerent. Right. Right, and Daniel seemed to coexist in a very ungodly society, Babylon, 
um, for his entire life that spanned eight over eight decades. Right. right? I mean, he was taken over there to Babylon when he was a teenage boy, 12 or 13 or 14. And you see him into his late eighties, um, you know, still advising the next King at that point, you know, and it had been from one King to the next. He was invisible, not neutral. He didn't cause a scene whenever he disagreed um, with what was happening politically. And he maintained his influence at the same time. I mean, every leader, you know, continued to see Daniel as someone that was trustworthy and they wanted on their, um, on their staff, I guess. Right. So, when I teach people politically as Christians is don't be the belligerent picketer who's out there freaking out. And I have plenty of friends who are Christians that they are all about the belligerence of picketing. Fine, fine. I'm not right. And I do think there are some people that are best for the battle and some people are best for the table, you know, the negotiations, but, Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean all Christians need to be belligerent, so to speak. And if you look at Christ, there were times that he was abrupt, but then you look at the people who, uh, like the woman at the well in John 4, he was not belligerent with her. He was kind, compassionate. Um, he knew already the answers to the questions he was asking, like, where's your husband? Um, but he didn't make her feel like he was beating her up or rubbing her nose in it. Right. You know. So there's a way that we can be compassionate and yet have great convictions. Right. So we have a society that wants to stay neutral on the idea of God or don't care. Let's say they pretend they don't care. But I feel like there comes a point when every person's life, in every person's life, where they have to face this truth or this understanding. Mm-hmm. So let's continue our conversation about how do we know? What proofs is there that there is a, a deity? Yeah, so... Why is that a logical statement? The five ways that uh, Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas, um, identified... And these are not in any particular order, I don't imagine. But one that's probably the most known in these circles is called the unmoved mover. And this is just from his observation of uh, motion in nature. Um, I don't know. Uh, earth revolves around the sun. Moon revolves around the earth. Those are, you know, more cosmological observations. But um, he had other things that he observed. Birds in the air. You know, just items that move in nature, water flowing, you know, whatever it may be. And so he goes, wait a minute, if something set these things in motion, there must have been, if you were to keep going backwards before birds flew, keep going backwards before water flowed, keep going backwards before earth revolved around the sun, there must have been something or someone that pre-existed everything that moves. And that pre-existing someone, for example, if we were to say that's God, would be the unmoved mover, you know, that he himself was there, he didn't move, but he set everything else in motion before. Now, there's inevitably somebody that would go, aha, but what if there was something before that mover? Okay, well, at some point you get to a start where there was someone that that did, that there was a point in time that started the first movement. Mm-hmm. And the only way for that to happen is if there was an unmoved mover that is eternal, that decided at some point. Now a Christian would say, right, God preexisted. He's, you know, the preexistent one that's eternal. And at some point in time, he said, let there be light, and he made creation. So creation didn't create itself. So the unmoved mover comes uh, concept comes from Aquinas' observation that things don't set themselves in motion. There must have been something that set itself in motion. And this right. doesn't, this is not the person that's saying, well, 
when I'm asleep on my bed in the morning, I wake up and get myself moving, right? But you didn't keep your heart moving. You didn't keep your lungs breathing. You didn't keep, you know, oxygen flowing so that you could breathe while you slept. So these things are in motion. And his observation was there must be an unmoved mover that set all the things in motion into motion. And that's one of his five ways of knowing there must be. Now, notice this has nothing to do with Jesus, Bible, etc. Now, an atheist, where the, so uh, I think sometimes when we use that term atheist, people think that, the, oh, that's somebody that's against all Christianity. Now, they are, but I don't think that they're, they're not against just Christianity. They're against, an atheist means a non, that they don't believe that there is a theist. Yeah, there would be non-theism, so non-God. Right. Non-God. Mm-hmm. Like, regardless of what you call God, there is no God. That, that to yeah. your point, the the... The mover, the non-mover, does not exist to that person. Yeah, that would it, that would uh, an atheist would have to hold a position to this of um, things have just always been. So the water has always flowed. You know, the bird birds have always existed and they've always flown. Or there's always been an earth, a sun, a moon, and it's always been in motion. That's handled by a separate situation. Um, that's actually easier to disprove than even an unmoved mover would mm-hmm. be. I think it's harder to prove this than than that position, but that would have to be the position of an atheist if they're going to have a consistent right. logic, right? right? So a second one is, is just the observation of cause and effect, um, and that's just real simple. There must be a cause for every effect that's uh, that's out there. You know, there had to be something that set stuff in motion. So. This would move the, for example, okay, you see a bird flying. Why is that bird flying? There's a cause that caused that bird to fly. Why is there a mountain? Why is there water? Why is there oxygen? You know, and if you were to say, well, you need oxygen for humans to breathe. Okay, but why are there humans? You know, so you you keep pushing back the why. You're pushing for what is the initial cause that resulted in all these effects. And so one way that proves existence of a theistic God is unmoved mover. A second way is cause and effect. You can't just have things happening. There has to be a cause for it. Now, an atheist would say, I disagree. I disagree. You don't have to have a cause for every effect. Well, if you keep going back in time, there had to be a reason that that thing began, yeah. you know, that caused it to begin. I've often heard this referred to as first cause proof. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause and effect is just another easier way of saying it. Or like yeah. a same. more generalized way of saying it. But yeah, the first cause. Mm -hmm. third one would be the contingent beings Um, contingent beings are beings that don't have um, a necessary existence right like uh, it's necessary that there be a sun for warmth and light and make plants grow but like a rock a pebble like if you're along the beach and you see a pebble that's a contingent being. It's not necessary that we have that pebble. Or, I mean, there's plenty of things you can think of. I mean, I don't know. You might think of a gnat. Like, bull weevils. <laughs> okay, bull weevils, yeah. <laughs> like, why? So, as Aquinas observed beings that were not necessary, he said, well, then these are contingent beings. They're contingent or dependent upon another being making or creating them. And so he knew that they weren't self-created, self-actualized, whatever. So they were com- contingent. And the truth is, uh, plenty of beings are contingent, even if they have a necessity of existence. But that was that's when you start getting into something that's called irreducible complexity. And irreducible complexity will be something that um, has complexity in it, 
And if you remove any part of its uh, existence, or if you remove any part of its organism, then it can no longer exist. So for example, an eyeball, mm -hmm. an eyeball is irreducibly complex. If you remove any component of a human eye, it will no longer see. Mm -hmm. So what it has right now in order to have sight, it has to have or there won't be sight. So irreducible complex. You might think of a mousetrap as a good example. You got the platform, you got the spring, the lever, um, and then the hook, the cheese, whatever. If you remove any part of a mousetrap, it's no longer a mousetrap. Well, irreducible complexity would say, okay, now it would have to be contingent upon someone or something creating it that way because it couldn't have evolved to the point of complexity. Like if you have an, an eyeball that lacks one part, it doesn't see, so it won't evolve into that. Right. right. So um, otherwise it just never saw and it becomes an item or an organ that has no purpose. Right. So um, anyway, so contingent beings led him to see, wait a minute, we have contingent beings. There must be something out there that has to exist uh, in order for these contingent beings to exist. Uh, fourth one would be um, uh, degrees of perfection. Um, uh he saw degrees of perfection around us or grades of perfection um, and that made him say, okay, well, since some things exist that are imperfect, there must be something out there that is perfect. And that item or someone, that one, that being that is perfect is the thing from which we get our grades of perfection. Now, this may seem really lofty, but in philosophy, this makes absolute sense because it's the way that we would compare something to say it's imperfect. Like, how do you know that's not perfect? Well, you have a knowledge in your mind of perfection. Well, why do you have a knowledge in your mind of perfection? If you've never seen it, um, a, good, a good conversation would be like you're sitting around an Italian restaurant and you're all having spaghetti. And, you, you know, one of you, Trent says to Philip, hey, how's your spaghetti? And Philip says, it's pretty good. Not the best I've ever had, but it's pretty good. And then Trent goes, this is the best I've ever had in my entire life. Well, okay. If it's not the best that Philip's ever had, where's the best that he, that he has had. And then the best that he has had, is that the best spaghetti that could possibly ever be created? The answer would be probably not because someone somewhere is going to come up with a better one. Well, what, what, uh, Thomas Aquinas is pointing to is there has to be someone somewhere that put the idea of perfection in our mind by which we compare everything else. Now, the best, or in my opinion, easiest way to understand this, this is very similar to Plato's cave. If you've ever heard of Plato's cave, Plato's a philosopher in uh, Greece way back in the day. Plato had this cave, of con cave concept where he was trying to explain exactly this concept in a little different way. And, and what he said is, all of us who are on earth, we are people who are inside a cave with the opening of the cave behind us where light is shining in, like the light is on your back. And anything that walks past the mouth of the cave is casting a shadow on the wall in front of us, right? So he says, when you see the shadow of a horse walk by, you're in the cave, you're facing the wall, the light creates a shadow on the wall, you see the shadow of a horse. Well, that tells you there's a horse behind you. Or you see a shadow of a little girl, that tells you there's a little girl behind you. He said, well, Plato says, well, this is the concept that we live in on earth. We see a brown horse, a black horse, a spotted horse, whatever, a big horse, a little horse, a fast horse, a slow horse. 
These are all shadows of, of the true perfect horse that would exist in, in the other realm, we would say heaven, right? Mm-hmm. But you would compare that to anything. So if you see a shadow of spaghetti, there's a spaghetti behind you. Well, he would say, we're seeing a plate of spaghetti in front of us, and we compared, do we like it in any number of variables of our preferences of spaghetti? But it's because Plato would say there's this perfection of spaghetti up in heaven somewhere. Now, Plato was not a Jew. He was not a Christian. He was just conceptualizing our desire or knowledge of perfection must be because perfect exists somewhere, and we don't know it, but we're pursuing it. Now, a Christian would say, right, perfect is God. Perfect is what we would see in heaven without any flaw, without any sin, and so forth. That's sort of what um, uh, Aquinas is getting at in his, one of his, this is the fourth of the five ways in his degrees of perfection, that it points to something that must be out there. Aquinas would also point out what I just explained from Plato. Part of what Aquinas did when he put together these five ways is he uh, deeply studied writing, ancient writings from all over that he could come to, from other religions, other cultures. And he began to see these were people who were coming up with consistent concepts like Plato right. that were not religious. They didn't right. have a codified religious work. They didn't have, you know, but yet they were still coming to these same concepts that he mm-hmm. put into the five ways and the said. questions are still being asked, right? That's exactly right. No matter what time, era, century, millennium. Um, and this is, all, quite frankly, it's consistent with Romans chapter 1, which I happen to have opened up right here in front of me. But in Romans 1, you have even the Bible saying people are without excuse right. from saying there is no God because they can look at creation. In fact, I'll just pull it out. I can, I can find it pretty quick. Um, yeah. Uh, it talks about uh, people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. He's talking about conscience there. For God made it evident to them. Then he says, for since the creation of the world, this is verse 20, his invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what's been made, so that they're without excuse. He's talking about creation. Mm-hmm. So even in Romans, you've got the hand of Paul the spirit of, and the Spirit of God saying, just from creation, we know someone put this there. You know, The classic example would be um, uh, you're walking along a field, and you're sure no one's ever been in this field before, but you look down and there's a perfect pocket watch. Right. This is the classic example. Yeah. And you pick up the pocket watch. Not a single logically thinking human alive would say, this thing just happened to be this way, right? <laughs> right, right? You would have to say, someone created this, made this, molded this, designed it, crafted it, put it together, put all the intricate parts together so that this thing called a pocket watch keeps perfect time. Well, if we could say that about a watch we stumble upon in the field, then we need to even more so say that about a planet in a solar system in a universe that's infinitely more intricate uh, and designed and so forth. And so this is sort of what Aquinas is going at, but he's finding five categories. And the fifth one is uh, things things without intelligence act for the sake of an end. This would be one that would be way more subtle. It wouldn't be as obvious as finding a pocket watch in a field, for example. But imagine the example that I've heard a million times would be he's walks a, he comes up on a uh, beehive, and the honeybees are making honey, right, on the honeycomb. Well, bee, honeybees are not intelligent beings, 
right? right. They make honey. That's yeah. all they do, mm-hmm. right? They sting you if you bother them. So the, a bee, a honeybee, is not an intelligent being. They act on intuition, right? I mean, a bee is born, and it immediately goes to work making honey, right? right. The mom doesn't have to train. Here's how you make honey, dear, right. right? So he sees these beings, like a honeybee, that acts without intelligence. Well, why is it doing that? It's acting for an end. The end of the honeybee is to make honey, right? Right. And you can think of other examples of this. So he's saying, okay, well, why are these unintelligent things uh, without intelligence, why are they working for the means of an end? What he means is they lack the intelligence to make them do these things. Right. So there must be something out there leading them. There must be a source leading them to behave in such a way that the end is achieved. Mm-hmm. And so things without intelligence, this is the fifth way, act for the sake of an end led by uh, an intelligent source that's leading them. And so ultimately, there's five ways you would come back to it and go, okay, to summarize then, God, a theistic God, is behind everything. He's moving things that need to be moved and wouldn't be moved otherwise. God is causing things uh, that have a certain effect. God is creating things that wouldn't be created. God is perfecting things, or God is example of perfection, maybe is a better way to say it, uh, that we're comparing all things to. So it creates the yearning in us that would direct our attention to God. So those are the five ways proving the existence of God. Now, millions of questions can come from that, but those are the five proofs of the existence of a theistic God that Aquinas came up with. Now, there have been other, other proofs that are way more technical and mathematical and deal with physics, like you might have heard of the cosmological argument. Mm-hmm. That's way more, I mean, that's almost honestly undisputable based on laws that scientists and cosmologists have put into effect that have nothing to do with deity, nothing to do with religion. Um, but certain laws like uh, second law of thermodynamics, I remember my kids were studying this in Christian school or something years ago. The second law of thermodynamics is that usable energy is winding down. Right. And so the idea that energy winds down and then winds back up on its own is false. And this is a law, a scientific law that usable energy is winding down, well, that means it's heading towards chaos. So if energy is winding down in the universe, then it won't be able to hold itself together. So this would disprove evolution. Evolution assumes it once was chaos and continued towards perfection. But the second law of thermodynamics would say, no, it started out pretty solid. It started out almost perfect, right. but it's headed towards chaos. Right. And certainly if you look at society and how nations interact with each other, there's no way you would say it's getting better out there, right? <laughs> right. So um, well, and that that's goes, a big one. You know, that kind of goes back to, as you're saying, you know, Edwin Hubble, you know, here's there's plenty of scientists out there that are, you know, I love it when the argument is presented, well, um, God is not a scientific it's not can't be a part of science, mm-hmm. you know. Like the existence of God can't be equated to anything or proven by science, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, which is funny because the way that we even know about science is because of that immovable mover. Yeah, the good example would be the person that found the pocket watch in the field. You might not say, "Oh my goodness, look, we're." We just looked down and found a pocket watch. Therefore, there's a God. Right. Like, you wouldn't make that <laughs> leap, right? But you would say, would oh, look, there's a pocket watch. There must be a watchmaker. Right. 
That's what Where would happen. Where did this come from? Yeah. How did it get here? So you wouldn't be able to say, there must be a watchmaker that's six foot one with dark hair. He, oh, yeah, You know what? I can tell from the watch. He had green eyes. Yeah. Uh, he was left-handed. Like, none of that would happen. But you would have the general understanding, okay, you know what? There's a watchmaker. At least there was a watchmaker somewhere. Right. You know? And I wonder if there's a town nearby that has a watchmaker, and let's just go ask. So the idea that a watch leads to a watchmaker is the point that Aquinas has made. The idea that there's a creation means there must be a creator. Creator, right. And, yeah. and like you're saying, though, the second law of thermodynamics is saying that things are winding down. Hubble saw that a long mm-hmm. time ago. Like, hey, universes, they're going away. You know? Yeah, so, gal- yeah, so galaxies they- are defeating. So what's interesting is there was a um, oh what's the word there was a there was a as they've seen images from deeper into space, what they're finding is there are galaxies still being made, but at a slower rate and with less energy. So what they did is they said, well now wait a minute, if galaxies are being made at a slower rate and with lesser and lesser progressively slower rate and progressively lesser energy then what happens if we go backwards? Let's take the formula, the pace and the energy formula, and let's go backwards. Then it's going to tell us there was a time when inter- when galaxies were being made faster and with more energy. Now, an atheistic uh, cosmologist would say, well, that was the Big Bang Theory. And that would be consistent with the creation theory in a sense that God spoke and created, right? Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden, boom. At like whatever, a bajillion miles an hour, and with all the energy uh, imaginable, creation or uh, galaxies were being created. Well, that's consistent with a Big Bang. But what happens is, if you accept the Big Bang but reject a God, then it's on you to explain what caused the Bang to happen. Right. right? And so you can't say, well, it just self-generated, because uh, nothing can come, or you can't get something from nothing, right. unless there's a creator that then said, no, I'll create Something from it. So creation and a creator becomes the most plausible and logical uh, answer to these questions. I, I saw a debate. The debate was probably 15 years ago or, or more. I'm sure it's probably on YouTube now. but And it was between a guy named, um, it's a Christian philosopher named William Lane Craig. And he's a debater. And he debated with a, an atheist philosopher on the proof or existence of God. Now, William Lane Craig's concept is what's called the Kalam cosmological argument. He was debating a guy who was a, um, I want to say he was British, and uh, the man said, no, 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 there's not a God that did this. So they get to the end of all these points that I'm making here with you know, the five ways from Aquinas and the cosmological argument and second law of thermodynamics. And finally, Dr. Craig said, well, then you need to present to the crowd what do you believe is behind all of these things that created and so forth. And the guy said, very simply, I believe that this is, we are all within a computer, basically, that has a mother computer that's leading all of that. Dr. Craig began laughing, and, he, and the person said, well, what is so funny about that? He said, well, what you're calling a computer is God. Mm-hmm. It's just you don't want to say God. Right. So you're saying there's something behind it. You just can't let yourself say God. So you say computer. Okay, fine. Who made the computer? Hold the conversation, right? So... Ultimately, even the atheists that follow their line of opinions, it, they have to accept where it leads. There's got to be a starting point. Yeah, and that's why I say most people lack the desire or the energy or the time uh, to be able to follow this through, which is why we should be thankful for people who are philosophers that dedicate their lives to following it through. It's why we should be thankful for you know, 
theologians who follow this through. So long as we're all operating on certain laws of logic, like the opposite of truth is false, truth exists and we can know it. Um, and then you start looking at these laws that are out there, laws of nature and so forth. So, so what do you say to the person, right? If, so as you kind of are saying, if you go backwards and you get to this place where it's going, okay, well, you know, there had to be someone that created. I think inevitably you get to the question <laughs> I think we've all been presented with of, okay, well, I, we're tracking back. So who created? The creator. The creator, right? Yeah. Because I think that especially those of us, you know, three of us here, we've had those conversations like, okay, I'll, I'll follow your line of logic, as you say, that there has to be someone that created and created and created. So following your own line of logic, then there has to be more and more and more and more. What is the response to, right, if we're saying lot logically here, I think the question that I've been asked, that probably a lot of people have been asked, like, why do we get to draw the line that God is the end? Why can't there yeah. be more before that? Yeah. Yeah, two things in response to that that come to mind immediately. One would be um, the person arguing that, hey, you know, hey, Christians, you say God is the first and he created, but hey, what's to say there wasn't God and then before that another God and before that another what they're arguing for without realizing it is they're arguing for infinite time backwards mm -hmm. right now we all argue for infinite time forwards if we're going to hold to like as a christian that there's heaven and we're going to be in eternity right, right. And eternity is just another way of saying infinite forward right, right. Yeah. from here forward well what the atheist that says what you were suggesting just then they're arguing for an infinite backwards or eternity backwards. Mm -hmm. That is easily disproven. We can't have infinite time backwards because if you have infinite time backwards, we never get to this moment right now. So what is today? December 9th, yeah. whatever, 2021. If you were to say, okay, it would take 50 billion years to get to this point, or someone else goes, no, 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 no. It would take 300 billion years to get to this point. Oh, no, no, no. I've studied rocks and dinosaur fossils. <laughs> it would take 500 billion bajillion, quintillion, quintillion, trillion years to get to this point. Well, you would have to then have a starting point. Right. So if you had infinite backwards, you never get to this point because we keep on moving it backwards, right? So we never get to right now because you have to have a start time to start the clock and say now in 50 billion years, we're gonna to get to December 9th, 2021, okay? Well, if they were to say, well, God created, God created, God created, God created, God, created is an act in time. So creation happens, the clock starts. So if you go, well, Brian, as a Christian, you're saying God, and so you're saying that um, you know God was created and at that point the clock started, we said, no, 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 remember? He's the unmoved mover. He's always existed outside of time. Hmm. So if someone says, well, then I'm posing that there's another God before him. Okay, but as soon as any creation happens, mm -hmm. the clock starts. Right. So if another God created that God, the clock started, and then we never get to this point. Right. So philosophers that are atheists that are being consistent with where the line of thinking goes are saying, if there is a God, he would have to be infinite and eternal. And from the moment that that God created, the clock starts, right? right? So that's why we say unmoved mover or uncreated creator, uncaused cause, mm -hmm. right? So we're, we are careful with our words because words matter, right? right? Of course. Yeah. That would be the first thing I would say about, you know, the God created. The second thing I would say is, hey, let's just 
just for conversation's sake, follow that person's thought that, you know, forget rules of logic and cosmological laws and so forth. And we just keep going backwards. This God created the God before him created the God. Well, they're accepting God in that case, right? So <laughs> right. they're accepting there's some sort of, yeah. you know, Design. ethereal or designer that existed. So yeah. what we would say is not to be funny or argumentative is hang on. If you're right, then that's consistent with what I said in the beginning of this episode. God is that which nothing greater can be imagined. Mm -hmm. And if anything can be imagined greater, then that's what God is. Right. So we're accepting that there's God in this podcast episode. There's a theistic God that exists, the unmade maker, the unmoved mover, and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, we could spend a year and plus talking about this. And uh, so I hate cutting things off because it's good. It's, it, I want us to challenge of the way we think. I want us to be able prepared to answer questions. I want us to be able to think um, quickly and intelligently and sound um, intelligent <clears throat> and be intelligent <laughs> mm -hmm. and not just be, I, I don't, I'm not, I mean, this is where we're gonna might get some feedback, blind faith. But you know, there is an element of faith to to Christianity that's clear. Yeah. In scripture. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be blind faith, is I guess where I'm going at. Like it can be logical, thought out faith, you know. Well, if someone were to act, were to say to me, and it's happened a million times, particularly since I became a Christian, because all of my friends weren't, well, Brian, your faith in Christianity is just that it's just faith. And I go, Well, it's not faith alone. Mm -hmm. There's also logic behind this and right. there's rules and laws and you know, but that's where I go. Uh, clearly, and I know we're not trying to go into another 30 minutes here, but I think that points to a person wanting to make a statement and not spend the time to challenge it. That's right. Right. Yeah. They don't, they want to make, they want to make, uh, what's the word? Um, there's a, what, ha, what do you call that kind of statement? It's a disproving statement without having the proof to back up what their disproving statement's making. Sure, and then it's like, okay, fine. You know what, Trent? You believe in God. I don't. Whatever. What's for lunch? Yeah. And just move on with their <laughs> life. I mean, you know, it's just like that's the end. And so right. you go, well, wait. There are people who put a lot of thought into this, you know. So as we like to end our episodes with is is advice, uh, practical things to take next steps in. What are some things that people maybe listening to this podcast, would you say, okay, hey, if I want to study more on this subject, or these topics, like what what is a resource I should, you know, pick up? I would pick up a uh, some kind of a summarized book on Thomas Aquinas's Five Ways. I mean, a quick Google search, mm -hmm. and you just put in there the Five Ways. Make sure you put in there Thomas T H O M A S Aquinas A Q U I N A S Thomas Aquinas's five ways and you'll find tons of info. I would not recommend unless you want to go get the five volume set of the Thuma, Summa Theologica. You can do that. It's thousands of pages though. I mean, truly. Right. So, um, I mean, I have a degree in apologetics and I wasn't required to read all <laughs> of his multi-volume set because on top of that, he's got other incredible works that are other things. So I would get a summarized version of the five ways I'm sure there's some YouTube videos that summarize the five ways. Right. Yeah. I would do that. If you want some deeper reading, I would look into William Lane Craig's uh, books. Um, 
that he has a wonderful book called Reasonable Faith that in my mind is a staple for anyone that wants to be able to defend the existence, the existence of God and the reasonableness of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And that's the name of the book is Reasonable Faith. Um, he lives in Marietta, by the way. And, um, but he, uh, Marietta, Georgia. Yep. He does. And he, um, he's just done some of the most undeniable work that even atheists are go, okay, yeah, what well, that's really, what he's done is really good. They don't agree with him. Right. Right. Cause it's still the faith aspect, but, but they appreciate his mm-hmm. intelligence. Mm-hmm. He's, he's exceptional in what he's done. So reasonable faith. So we'll put that in the show notes for you guys, maybe a link to that. So you can uh, connect with that. And then, also uh, remind you of Thomas Aquinas's five ways. Um, now, I always get this confused. This is kind of a little rabbit trail real quick at the end. Is it Aquinas or Kant that says, I think, therefore I am? Um, it's not Aquinas. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, cogico ergo sum, right? I think, therefore I am. Was that Kant? I don't think it was Kant. Man, let me think about that right now. Let me think. All right, so we got a homework assignment for Brian. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, as you were talking, it kind of popped in my head. I was like, Man. Descartes, Rene Descartes. Yeah, totally whiffed and missed on both of those. But yeah, uh, sorry. anyway, um, so we'll put the show notes and put these uh, uh, links to there so you'll know what to go look for. Uh, I challenge you to really look at yourself. Uh, look, look at this. Feel like, uh, you know, Instead of saying the person, being the person says, well, I'm not smart enough. I don't know what to say. Well, figure out what to say. Yeah. I'd love to say one last thing on this too, man. I think apologetics is really good for the Christian, but don't convince yourself that apologetics, which is the defense of the faith, is good for making someone become a Christian. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's a really good thing to make that <laughs> stipulation. So it is good. Don't think that, hey, man, if I can prove to you the cosmological argument for the existence of God, will you become a Christian? They're going to be like, no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah we've, th- we've talked about that before. Yeah. Like, you don't argue people into heaven. Mm-hmm. Right. But, boy, these things sure do help you to strengthen your faith so that you don't feel like you have to just check your intelligence at the door to be a Christian. Right. Right. Yeah. So you don't feel inferior going on into intellectual conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're commanded, us, you know, in Scripture— be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have within you. Well, thanks for listening. We really appreciate you as the audience. Uh, drop in our comments uh, and connect with us on the social media pages on what you thought, what you'd like to hear. Maybe there's a, an apologetics topic that you would want us to tackle uh, sometime in the future. We'd love to know what that would be. Uh, we're kind of following a little bit of a pattern, uh, but you know, we'd also want to know what maybe some of your questions are uh, in regards to this conversation um, that maybe we, Brian can come back and answer next time he comes on. So uh, we'd love to hear back from you guys. Philip, tell them how they can find us. Yeah, find us at Paradox Culture Podcast on Instagram, um, obviously on Spotify, on iTunes. Um, love to see you guys over there. Leave some comments for us. And uh, be looking for us next episode, episode eight. Yep. We're on the Facebook too, so you can find us there as well. Uh, But yeah, episode eight coming up, the last episode of the season. Um, So anyway, have a great day. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.